Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. I'm Matt. And I'm Alex. And I'm Carrie. Welcome guys back to the Game Junkies podcast. the game junkies um yes not just matt alex and kerry we actually are joined today by two very special guests um we are joined by um our our co-hosts and co-stars from uh dungeon junkies we are myself alex and kerry are joined today by caitlin um from um dice and suffering and from, with chad originally from vftr 2.0 now Dungeon Junkies as well, of course. So today we are going to go around the table, as it were, and we, this is our sixth monthly um, recap of what we've been up to, in case you haven't had a chance to catch up everything we've been doing, and also a chance for us to each ask questions to each bit of DM in the form of a, uh, of a press pit, like a better term. Now, Kerry, um, you were put in charge of by Alex, so you choosing the order we're going in. So over to you, anybody, Kerry. Dear, that was your first mistake. Anyway, why don't we be polite hosts and start with our guests, as it were? I saw that damn it, Caitlin. For that, you can go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, try me, bitches. What do you want? Who are you? What do you do? What's your favorite color? Uh, my favorite color is like ocean blue. Nice. Like deep ocean, I like that. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I run Dice and Suffering, which is a separate entity. I am the weird contractor they let in from the rain sometimes. I, I lead these lot through D&D, Blades in the Dark, and potentially other stuff if, you know, I sort my life out. I run into the waste. Or I did. It is currently on hiatus. Sad face. But that does mean that there's a lot of potential for questions for these four. Both on events that have happened recently and on some questions that they may not get answers to for a while. Find me, peasants. Okay, okay well, um, my first question then um, for you, Caitlin, is, is actually a blaze in the dark question I've got for you, actually. Um, now, I had a lot of fun with the first season. Um, obviously, um, the Black Lotus Gambit was insane at times. <laughs> I generally think at times we we made you tear your hair out. You drove me to alcohol. So the question I have is, what was the most insane thing that you can remember happening? And why was it me? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean... The most insane is, yes, the episode featuring Crowley and Professor Blake, where they broke into a guy's house who was in his underwear and set up the postcode lottery. But it was, um, you weren't really meant to encounter the demon Argaz at the end. But through your, through your diligence and through your sheer luck with engagement roles, you got there faster than I expected, which meant he was still in the area and you did very well with the tuning to it. 
Which then, and then you immediately ruined that by yeeting a fucking lightning hook at it and trying to catch it like some common spirit. And that's how I ended up getting to the season finale, where I was like, hey, there's, let's, let's perform a twisted ritual because you lot are idiots. All those my, people died because of you. In my defense, I was not aware at the time uh, that it was a demon. <laughs> yes, the ear would have been the hint, sadly. But... To okay. piggyback on that question real quick, because I was also involved in that episode. In that moment when Crowley was just trying to talk the demon down, if... Professor Blake would have just chilled his fucking boosters and not tried to capture it. Could we have gotten out of that situation? He would have... He wouldn't have acted against you. He would have taken an interest in you all, and potentially you would have had the opportunity to kind of do a devil's bargain with him for future assistance, but... Yeah, throwing the hook at him really pissed him off, which is why he, why you ended up facing Trent in his fucked up puppeteer form and, you know, Crowley taking level three harm. I I stand by shooting that lock. I'd say I regret nothing, but I sort of have some regrets in that because as we found out the hard way, Blade in the Dark, a lot more difficult than we thought it was going to be with regards to D&D, for sure. Can't just have a nap and everything's fixed. Nope. nope. There's consequences, damn it. Although yeah. I do remember that probably the, the greatest thing for the whole series was like, that's a problem for future us, which I believe was started by Chad. Yes, as you released a ghost in the train yard. <laughs> Lots of future us problems. Yeah, yeah. all came back. Hasn't come to back to bite us yet. It's not that specific one. <laughs> no, it hasn't, though. It's written down for potential future things. I mean, to be fair, a lot of that episode was Chad and I wasting a lot of time figuring out how to tie a man to a chair and rig him so he looked like he was still sat up and working. <laughs> That felt really important at the time. I remember and like listening back to that episode, I, I re- think to myself, what the fuck were we on at that moment? That was so <laughs> unimportant. We could have just moved on with our lives and like it wouldn't have affected anything, but we were locked in. We were like, we're going to get that man in the chair and make it look like he's sitting there at his desk. I think we did well enough. You did. You could have avoided the whole thing by just having him lie down like he fell asleep, but... Yeah, that's the peasant route. We weren't doing that. <laughs> One to five star run it, all right? We put the difficulty on legendary. We don't F around. Yes, you got an F. You go for five hit, man. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So I got two questions that I'm going to ask everyone, and then I'll, I'll probably have a specific question for each one as well. But I'll ask the two questions first that I'm going to ask everyone. Because it, it's more of a mechanical style of things. And also because all four of you either are going on hiatus or reaching kind of the end games of your said campaigns. So first of all, 
I want to know how much do you guys actually like put into your planning? Like how many pages of said notes do you say go into an episode? And two, uh, so since you're coming to the end or coming to a hiatus, what's the one major thing that you wish you would have done differently to either begin your campaign or to either change one like plot point or major thing that already occurred? Uh, let's see. I mean, changing the major thing is I need to think, and it's part of the reason why In Space is going on hiatus. It's very much the party is not suited for the kind of machinations that need to happen in order to get information. And Obviously, there's been the whole stuff around Borer and Alaric being a puppet king and all the wastes magic and things. But in order to go into that, you need to understand the history and you need to understand the politics. And with two sociopathic children, a bodyguard and some maniac with one eye running around murdering people, it's... That was really... Kalsaru. I had nothing to do, or Calreo. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> Yes, you kept announcing it loudly to everyone who would listen. Hello, it is I, Calreo, killing you. Me, Calreo, is killing you. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Verbatim. I said Charlemagne uh, wasn't there. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I'd go back and... I love the characters we've ended up with. So that's why I've kind of put it on kind of a pause rather than just kind of scrapping it. But... I would have been clearer with what information I gave you and guidelines I gave you for building those characters in the first place. Because we ended up a bit too goofy for a world that does not suit that. I won't lie to... Uh, the first question is about how many pages go into each of your episodes. I will say that if I could go back for your campaign and change one thing, I love Charlemagne and everything like that, but I think knowing what I know now and playing the actual campaign, I would have actually probably played like a mastermind rogue of some nature and built them into the world instead of Charlemagne. That, don't get me wrong, I love everything that's happened with Charlemagne and everything that I've done. Just be, I think a mastermind rogue would have been a lot of fun for Into the Waste. The Varus the Great stuff could have really gone into the whole mastermind element but no uh with my sessions it's partly dependent on who's there bigger sessions it's about tends to be about three pages in a map individual sessions it's actually a lot more they tend to average about six pages and then there's individual maps and things for locations like the duo one i had about four pages of scenarios to go through into a list that you ended up going through all of them but there were details for each of them but i i don't write like concrete plot points it's all very vague ideas and things i can loop in and then i just bullshit on the spot and hope something makes sense kind of a follow-up question for the mechanical then so as you said you don't write down concrete plot lines are you more a event kind of person that you're writing down for those or are you more, you're writing down like the whatever character or what's ever going on, like the background stuff. And then, so you just know what's going on in the background and then you just let your players kind of go into it. Because you lot are so chaotic, 
and so unpredictable. I tend not, I'll have a few events per arc that have to happen in some way or another, but every session, it doesn't, it's very much, it doesn't matter how you get there, as long as you get there. And I think what's really clear with that is if you look at like the end of my arc too, it's literally, you needed to get to Aenor and you needed to have that confrontation with Cormac and Salui. But I did not predict Sandai. And I made it work in the moment and it's come out of some really good fucking roleplay, but I, I was about as shook as everyone because that wasn't in my list. All right, you can come back to me. Someone else can go for now. Okay, Alex, you want to hit the floor? Well, bit, bit of a... Not so much a question about the campaign, it's more a question about your thoughts on it. <clears throat> what would you say your favourite and... Can I say least favourite? What would you say your favourite and least favourite moments are from... Ivory campaign, so into the waste and blades. Like, what moments did we do that you loved, or like what interactions we had, and what was like the least favorite interactions? I can do for both, actually. Uh, into the waste, it's the favorite bit. Still has to be that trip that down memory lane you all took, where you went through each other's memories together. I see you, Matt, with your plagiarism. <laughs> and your doors with symbols on them that relate to things. It's a good thing, it's a good thing that it's going to be out there if this time drops, isn't it? <laughs> Didn't the first part go out yesterday? Yes. As, as recording, yes. This thing coming out for another week and a half, thank goodness. No, that was definitely my favourite bit, mainly because there were so many points that each of you had different realizations, like Sand realizing the involvement of his father-in-law and obviously Cormac himself, Dakota realizing she wasn't entirely in control during the ballroom massacre. Shambles actually getting a bit more information about his religion beyond just, I like fire. And you all actually getting a, a hint before the reveal of Charlemagne later down the line. It led to some good character interactions between you all. Weakest out of everything I've published for that, like I'm ignoring the Arc 3 stuff because that's its own separate ball game. Uh, Warding Light. The town of Warding Light. Or a as listeners will know, Morag's cudgel. <laughs> that episode. <laughs> I'm so sorry about this, Caitlin. It wasn't just, it was a group thing. It was everyone because the point we were at in roleplay as well meant that like those breakoffs and those arguments were going to happen. I just wasn't expecting, the mayor wasn't meant to die. <laughs> Y'all completely bypassed that. Did not stop, did not pass go, did not collect 200 gold. Like, there were about... There were several people from your past shambles there. 
there were bits of information that could have helped Dakota actually keep the Sorcerer-Warlock combo. There was information about Sans Sun that I ended up just giving to you at the end because I was losing my sanity and rambling about cudgels. That, I think, was a disappointment for me as a DM because I knew it had so many points, but also because I... I had fun, but I was well aware how much I'd missed and I wasn't sure how much of it was me not signposting properly and how much of it was you guys not noticing. Oh, you could have put a signpost up. I was not, I was not following I was anything. hitting you over the head with the signpost. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, to be fair, sometimes I get so into the role, I actually forget to be looking for clues sometimes. I, I mean, was chasing you all around with a signpost, just no one noticed. I mean, the fact that I went off on Charlemagne the way I did as well, I I, uh, I have no regrets about that because I think the fact, I think Chad led into that so heavily as well. It, actually, it, it was good character growth, but at the same time, it really wasn't helpful for deeper plot, as you say. That's, that's, on, that's on me as well. So. No, Blades... Uh... Black Lotus Gambit, the opening episode is definitely the weakest, which is partly us all getting used to the system, partly nerves on my end, because that was the first thing being launched as Dice and Suffering. So that was my own responsibility. And partly just because it's very hard to do an opening heist, such that you can get people together beyond, especially because I I was really, we had such a variety of people and characters for it. Highlight, uh, it's definitely a tie. It's a tie between the whole, the confrontation at the end between Trent and Crowley whilst the others sawed off a woman's arm. You know, that's fine. A tie between that and between the whole disposing of evidence sequence that Blake and Riley did because that's very quintessential Blades. And you guys were really into it and you were like professionally, like you missed some stuff, which is always funny. But there was, it was making use of every mechanic the game had and that's good to see. Also you being like, oh no, I was the last person seen with the murder victim. Oh no. (laughs) Yes, in hindsight. And then I then I took their soul with me. Yeah. And then you trapped a guy who just wanted to watch trains. <laughs> and then they're dropping the corpse out the window, so Crowley. Oh, that was good fun, that was. Just dropping a corpse on Blake and Blake breaking his fucking ankle. For sure. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that bit, definitely. I enjoyed that bit. Why are you gonna miss Carrie? I don't know, man. Because, like, you've all asked these serious questions and I only had stupid ones. Like, why do you hate climbs so much? I <laughs> mean, <laughs> <laughs> ask the How stupid question. Someone's have? gotta do it. Yeah, someone's gotta do it. <laughs> We are Dungeons and Junkies. Like our campaigns all border very much on the serious to then very much juxtapose into the absolute ridiculous. 
I mean, Caitlin over there put a person in, you know, leather freaking chaps, chaps, assless yeah. chaps. Welcome to Caitlin and sleep deprivation equals that. And Shadow's not off. I just don't get why we're allowed Captain Halfmast, but we couldn't have lasagna. <laughs> Look. For context, off, Caitlin. Nobody context. really likes clowns. I know there are probably some people who would be looking at lasagna like, hmm, that does it for me. You could just you could just imagine all the people half the um town coming for that clown. We do some context here. Who is lasagna for people who may not may stupidly not have been listening to the Dyson suffering? Who's lasagna carry? Right. So it was actually Chad's brilliant idea, I believe, to get hookers in as part of our What goes with drugs? Hookers. There we go. See, it makes sense. And uh, no one told me I couldn't design some of the hookers. So we had all these normal people, including a guy who used to be a businessman, a banker, in a, like a tiger sprint speedo. Bertrude. Bertrude. Gotta love Bertrude. And then I made lasagna. Caitlin wouldn't let us keep lasagna. Lasagna was a clown with a big beer gut. I drew him. He looks delightful. I could Lasa- be lasagna EGX! <laughs> lasagna was mysteriously stabbed many times in an alleyway. <laughs> Matt, Matt, you're like a brother to me, and I love you to bits, but please keep your clothes on. <laughs> please do not dress as lasagna, the stripper clown. <laughs> like that sentence is enough of a reason of why I hate clowns. Clowns just, I mean, they don't scare me. I'm not scared of them. They're just kind of odd. But the idea of a stripper clown is where I drew the fucking line. Like pirate, I get because you get like, ooh, I'm a sexy pirate that thing like halloween parties will have that sometimes you see no one dressed as a sexy fucking clown i guarantee there's some people go oh i'm a sexy clown and i want there no one to be is not a sexy boy i'm sure ah, i'm sure it's clown like crusty the clown's fallen off the bandwagon a bit oh he's wearing frilly panties what do you want Kerry will be <laughs> tweeting <laughs> Kerry, upload the people it. Pay it. Not put that on. We all get banned. <laughs> if people pay enough, they can pull the pull the curly chest hairs. <laughs> you pay a dollar just to go. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Partly, like I honestly, the hookers thing oh. is hilarious, and playing up my hatred for it is also funny. So. Like if it yeah. would, if it genuinely made me uncomfortable, then I would have stopped it in its tracks. So it's just kind of seeing how far you lot will push it, and clearly I found the line, and it's hooker clowns. Mm. <laughs> I'm starting to think I need help just looking at my picture of Bertrude. <laughs> yes, Bertrude. Love Bertrude. Love Bertrude. <sighs> okay. Whew. Okay, right, Kerry. Oh, one more serious question. Ten candles and other games when? Never you fucking want. I mean, ten candles is like a... It's one shot, so they're self-contained. I'll provide the candles. I mean, we can do it over technology as well. It's... It's just, you'd all have to light ten candles and then blow them out when I say. And that's very much a in-the-dark... Like, the whole premise of it is that it's the only light in the room. You know, apart from, like, your monitor. 
Mm. And then you're gradually decreasing the light as we go. Other ones, I'll light. Yeah. It's if I want to be lit like Satan, I'm going to be lit like Satan. Now I am looking at other systems. The main, the main qualm I run into is, like I can learn a new system, but it's all of you lot having to learn a system as well. And it's trying. I mean, I'll probably try some one-off stuff and just kind of make a little crash course PDF or something for what you actually need to know rather than because you know PTRPG books are heavy and expensive expensive part I agree with yes I mean some of the ones I've got back there I could kill people with oh yeah like the, the Pathfinder stuff I could beat people to death with note we do not condone beating people to death with books mm-hmm. we'll get blood on the spine it's bad for the paper best in pieces aren't you we, we condone killing people with stripper clowns, though. Zanya 2.0 is coming. No. He'll, he'll be the end boss of Blades. Fucking <laughs> He's going to be the ultimate crime lord, and it's just a fully clothed clown. Zanya's brother-in-law, Calzone, is coming. <laughs> Carbonara <laughs> arrives to the scene. <laughs> I was trying to think what Carbonara was called, so I was just like, fuck it, go with something else. The rival gang of Calzone and Pizza. I'm sorry, Italy. Brothers split at birth. Oh, rolled up in, into it. Let's all go sit in the corner and think about what we have done. I'm gonna go sit in a corner. Someone else got on the chair whilst I regress. Indeed. So, Kerry, who's up next? Again, isn't it good to let our guests go first? So, Chad. Hello, I'm Chad, and I, of course, run Escape from Wolf Farm. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, go to it. I don't know. <laughs> mm, Alex. Alex. Nice. For me, and I like to go first. Um, so you're going to go with the same question as before about like your favourite moments and least favourite moments as a DM. But I do have another. I do have another question, but I'll ask that afterwards. Hmm. My favourite and my least favourite moment. I actually think my favourite moment, and I wish it's almost kind of quasi my least favourite moment in a way because I actually love it and I wish I would have stuck with it longer, is actually during Virian's dream sequence when they were in the classroom and the whole having Virian as the teacher and everything like that. I, I just loved the concept so much and I feel like I turned it too soon. Like I could have pushed farther on it, but I had the riddle up on the board and it didn't feel like Carrie was getting it at the time. And I didn't want to make, I didn't want Carrie to feel like I was just making them beat their head against the wall in that moment. So it's one of my favorite moments because I just loved the whole concept. And then the actual turn of doing like them being in a nightmare for a second and then having the whole dandelion scene, which I also just love having that like kind of beautiful juxtaposition of that when really in Wolfam, everything's 
glitzy and glammy, but mostly, you know, kind of grungy as well, where the dandelion scene was one of the few times where it was, you know, a beautiful open prairie with, you know, blue skies above and everything like that. So I guess that kind of answers that question. I suppose my second one is if because well I was only thinking about this today actually if the original party was still present so Damien, Varian, Zorn and LB do you think we'd be at the same point we are now or do you reckon it would have like veered off and gone in a different direction so I I guess I can kind of reveal that because that doesn't reveal too much or anything like that the party actually a major turning point in the entire Wolfham campaign actually happened during the two-week hiatus and it actually happened with Tam and one of Tam's actions, Tam getting Hathi's bottle uh, turned into an unbreakable thing, who they spoke to and what they did, they didn't do anything wrong, but they just put you all on the radar of someone. And that completely changed exactly where the campaign was going. So if LB and Zurin were still there, and Tam wasn't? No, you probably, the certain events would still be happening in the background, but they would not be as accelerated. Because I killed the dwarf, we are what we are. Damn it. No, I mean, it actually, it occurred before the killing of LB that uh, everything changed. When the Fire Nation attacked. Is it bad that I myth and don't miss the dwarf? I don't I don't think LB would have made it out of that hospital. I don't see a dwarf pressing himself against the wall being invisible. I don't uh I had a lot of things planned for LB. Uh LB and both Zurin actually dying did change a lot of kind of some of the behind the scenes machinations of myself where I know where this story is going. Like I know the end point is basically the best way to put it. I've, I've told you all before, my kind of plot structure is it's kind of just a giant severe that at all times is kind of slowly closing in. And you all are at you know different spots inside this massive sphere. But no matter where you go, to try and reach the edge of the sphere is next to impossible. But that also sphere is closing in slower and slower, pushing you farther and closer to the actual end game. It would, it would be interesting to imagine it with LB and Zorin still there. Because to be honest, as I've said before, obviously back when, back then, when we started Escape from Old Farm. I, my fault to be honest, I still didn't know much when it came to D&D and classes and stuff so I went into Barbarian and it was basically in my head that I had nothing to do because I didn't understand how Rage or any of that worked so 
I got bored quite quickly. But I imagine if I went into that knowing what I do now, then Zoran would probably still be here, to be honest, because Barbarian just seems like good fun. You, you're a tank that doesn't die, and you just hit everything like a tank. Uh, I thought of something else. I, I want to go back, because you asked what my actual least favorite moment is yeah. that I've DM'd. And I actually, now that we're kind of talking about it, I thought of this. The whole uh, Hawkins Hatchery episode, that was one of my least thought about episodes because I ended up DMing that one on the fly because something came up for someone else and I was like, oh yeah, I can do an episode. And at that point, I had a totally different plan where you were going at that point because of the actions that had occurred right after the cube. But with having to move up my game plan, I didn't have anything going on. And also with Alex deciding he did not want to play Zurin, I had to then put a new character into the mix and try and figure out how to introduce them into this, you know, already three team party because that was the first episode with Cal. And I feel like it was one of my weaker like episodes as a whole. And I actually take blame for Matt kind of looking like an idiot in the non-magical box because I don't feel like I described it well enough. Like listening back to it, I don't feel like I set you any of you up for success in that battle. And I, I love certain I love parts of that episode. Like I love all of the RP you did and everything like that. But I definitely feel like it's my weakest session by a lot. Chad, you can't take the blame from me cocking up the fact of trying magic in a magic proof box, even though I'd bear in mind the amount of times this has been referred to in character by the other characters. And it, it never it never failed to put a smile on my face hearing Carrie and Caitlin as Damien and Virian reminiscing about when LB was a fucking idiot. I mean, it does live in Ulfam lore, as they still bring it up. I, Damon brought it up to Grozny when they were on their little road trip. This is true. This is true. Before he tried to fucking kill me. Who has the beast hammer, by the way? It's back in the ho- it's back in their no, hotel true. room. You left it to Damien in like your will, and he's left it in the box untouched and doesn't give a shit. <laughs> You were trying to forge a connection. It wasn't happening. Bad dwarf noises. Okay, then. Any questions for chat? Uh, okay. One that will sound a bit vague to listeners. For a bit of context, right before, like during... Chad's paternity leave, he sent like an essay of questions to all of us to answer. One of which included like what the fuck we think is going on. Was there any in there that were close to what you were thinking? Were there any of them that were so outlandishly crazy that you were like either what the fuck or I should have thought of that? No, everyone everyone is I guess pulling on certain threads that 
aren't completely off, but say, as I was saying before, a circle, this, as I said, uh, one of the episodes I titled the notes, uh, the spider's web. And that's what this is where you're all kind of pulling on the very edges of this web where if you followed that strand, you could probably pretty quickly reach to what the answers might be, but you're all kind of just, you know, on the periphery of it. Trying to remember exactly what you said for your answer, and I, I want to look now. <laughs> I just remembered it because I was writing a note on my phone and I came across the fucking big ass note that I'd written to you. I think everyone got their answers in relatively quick and Chad, every day again, like, Matt, but I need your stuff still. Waiting, Willis, where is it? Come on. And I'm like, I'm sort it out for you. I mean, it took I'd... a while, but that's because I didn't know how to answer some of the questions for Damien, because I did genuinely consider retiring him. And as Chad said, you can never leave. <laughs> Some of the questions, as much as I am happy to write absolute essays about my favourite sparkly elf, and then I have to try and cut them down because I can't send that many words to that person at once. Some of them you really did have to sit back and think about, like, hmm. This was or like, like same time we did the Shard solo stuff, and it was just you and I for like half the call, just going, what do we say? We're discussing, we're discussing the questions and like, I kind of know what I want to say here, but it's finding a way to put it in less than, I don't know, like 10,000 words. I absolutely love sending you guys those like questionnaire kind of things. And especially because Matt always says he has a real problem doing backstory stuff. So just think of as many questions as I can get to send out to Ed, you know, Matt. And then I'm like, well, that's not fair if I just only ask Matt these questions. And plus, I like to just, because sometimes I won't lie, the questions are all like, I clearly take all the information in, but sometimes it's only like one of the questions I actually want an answer to. And it might be only from one of you, but I just don't want you to know that I'm actually really fishing for something from one of you, because that's just no fun. The thing is, is that you're sort of right as well, but I used to be terrible for backstory as all the other three dms in the call can vouch for carry <laughs> <laughs> thought like i'm still waiting for moiras <laughs> i will give i will give i will give matt some credit i hunted him down he's like tell me the story now indeed to be fair for wyatt i gave you a lot more than i did for lb chad didn't i oh yeah uh, well, so I mean, I let you be a Power sentences. Ranger. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And the amount of stuff I gave you on that, and you were like, yeah, a quote. Firstly, I'm impressed you've put this much work into it, which felt like I'd get a gold star in, in kindergarten or something. <laughs> it was lush. It was lush. Oh. Lovely. I mean, I really was. I was I was flat out impressed with the amount of uh, information and modes you actually went into. Yeah, and then I was also a little sad about myself for how many I actually knew and remembered watching. And then he said to me, like, I'm not saying no, but not yet. I'm not, I'm, I, want, I want it said for the benefit of the tape, Matt is capable of writing things now. 
he can't say that he's not good at this because we now have proof that he is. I I was I used to be terrible at doing it. I I admit that I used to be terrible at doing it. I have since got better at doing stuff. Yes. Good questions, but one of them just seems really smarmy now. Could we get more questions at some point in the future? I enjoy character essays. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You'll some... more questions. Kerry and I spent 90% of our conversations either memeing or doing character essays to each other. It's good fun. It's it's pretty much entirely all Warlock Squad stuff as well. We've got like a whole graphic novel going on at this point. Despite the fact they haven't spent that much time in the trailer, we're like, if they were in the trailer the entire time, this is the sitcom that would come out of it. Second question. It's more about DMing in general, because... Honestly, I'm struggling to narrow down how many questions I can think of. As the most experienced DM here, what, like, one thing would you say to someone who just wants to start running their campaign? Like, what one bit of information could you give them to make their life easier? I honestly think, and especially coming back to it again and playing with... I feel like back in the day it was much more structured, like three and a half edi- or ep- like edition three and a half, and even just how people played, it was much more like by the book. Everything was about you know building to do your ninth level spells and you know protecting your wizard and everything like that. Now things are so chaotic and just ever changeable, and the rule of cool has just evolved so much to being like almost just a standard unwritten rule that everyone just quasi plays by. Like if you think of something smart enough and you like twist it around enough, like you almost gotta let someone roll for it at this point. So I think the best piece of advice nowadays for trying to DM is almost the sandbox kind of perspective. Like have a city or a town or a bar or whatever your starting point is and just have like multiple little tiny plot hooks around that can all lead into one larger thing like put like five interesting people in a corner of the area that you know draw the attention of your party put a bartender who's whispering to a couple of the clientele at the bar things like that you don't need to go so grandiose nowadays Your players nowadays are tuned in. We've all read so much fantasy stuff. We watch fantasy stuff. We watch sci-fi stuff. We all are so pop culture in tuned that your players themselves will help build this world out for you. So just start simple and don't get like bogged down by the overall like details, like the tiny little things. Have your main central law that you can't break, that you know, and just trickle down from there. That was a lot of words for a simple answer. Sorry. I also have one more question, which I guess doesn't have to be answered. So the campaign itself is called Escape from All Palm. Do we get to explore the world outside at some point? Maybe? Well, Escape from All Farm, because All Farm is just the dimension. And as I've said, it's kind of tailored kind of by the classic John Romero, you know, Escape from New York and Escape from LA kind of things where Ganymede's just an island. And Alex, I talked to about this when he was building Avery, because there was a time where he wasn't going to be Avery. He was going to be like a rune knight, like kind of character, if I remember correctly. And there are multiple continents to Ulfam. So will you ever get to explore Haljevic, the world you all or most of you came from besides Wyatt? It's neither here nor there. 
I'm not sure. Will you get to explore the rest of Ulfam? Probably. Maybe. We'll see. Answer. I think it's a fair answer. Right then. Um, everyone, I believe, has asked questions of Chad. Oh, have, have I actually asked Chad a question yet? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. Well, quick review then, Chad. Um, this is gonna sound maybe slightly like I'm taking like I'm taking a piss at myself a bit, but how long were you expecting us to spend in the hospital compared to how long we spent in the hospital? Bearing in mind, I've never since well, I think it was genius making a hospital into a dungeon crawl. It was brilliant. So. The hospital itself, and this kind of ties into my question about how many notes you all have for episodes. Because so, funny enough, the ep the episodes that were the hospital are four, four or five, it's four, no, five recording sessions of the hospital. We were in the hospital for over a month of my episodes, and it's about a nine episode arc for my campaign. For the notes on the hospital, besides maps, there's one page of notes, one single side of paper. The only notes on it are refer to the floor plans, Bob, the doctor, and then the final abomination Rat King boss, his stats. That's all that I had for the hospital. How long it was supposed to take? As long as it needed. You had to get to the basement. No matter what you were going to do and how you were going to do it, you were either going to make it to the basement or you were all going to die. There was there was no middle ground on that one. That was and probably the most railroady I've been so far in Wolfam, where it was a dungeon crawl and you were in a locked dungeon which had one escape. There was no other way out of that area, except for I guess technically Avery, but if you all would have Dimension Doored, that probably would have gone a lot worse for all of you. This is very true. Um, well, to be honest, I, had, I did use Dimension Door. I think it was because of the banishment in there. I thought it was the banishment. That's what it was. Banishment, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, 90 minutes to go down, to go down one corridor. I, I, will, I will literally have that on my gravestone. 90 fucking minutes, Willis. And I will say those are two of my favorite uh, moments that actually both occurred with Alex at the time of the dice just taking away completely because the dice give it and both when you guys were crawling in the air ducts, the air duct system wasn't supposed to collapse at all. You're, Avery was supposed to end up making a noise and maybe slip a little bit, but you would have definitely had time to catch him. But Avery rolled a one on his check and thus the entire duck system collapsed. And then the end of the episode with Avery a casting banishment on the abomination, that was totally up to the dice. There was a chance that Avery could have just been there the whole time, just knocked unconscious and still in the same area. That dice roll for the vent though was brilliant. <laughs> Where, when it's like, do it at disadvantage in 
I think the regular roll was, was close to a 20. But obviously, just the one made it a lot more comical. Yeah, no. I love the hospital. It was a great time. I, I didn't expect it to go as well as it did. I also do want to apologize for Bob's changing accent. He has six different accents. Now I'm going to play it off as that he was lying to you the whole time. <laughs> he was technically a Kecleon all this time. Yeah, well, or he's dead. Time. No, I will never let that go, Gary. <laughs> or is he? Anyone find the body of Bob? We did eviscerate three and a half million people. Damien eviscerated three and a half million people. In that At three in the morning, like, what happened to Bob's body? Oh no! <laughs> Somebody gang rise up. <laughs> I never said that there was uh, Pyrex in the uh, labs area. I only saw videos of the entire hospital blowing up. And then it collapsed. You'd think they would have Pyrex in there, considering that's where the la secure labs were. But... Well, they would definitely have it in the lab areas, but there was, you know, six feet of concrete and barriers between the labs and the actual walkway area. Well, I hope he got squished by concrete. I don't know. Kerry, who do you want to go next? Well, since you asked so nicely. Oh, well, in that case then, um, come at me, bitches. You have wow, to introduce yourself also. first, you fool. <laughs> God damn it. I am absolutely a fool. Absolutely. I am Matt and I am the um I am the creator of the Eno Chronicles, uh, the longest running in Dungeon Junkies. Um but doesn't necessarily mean this meaning the best. Um you know, it holds its own, I feel. Um but what do you guys want to ask me? Uh, first of all, I'd just like to say congratulations on running a now over two-year campaign, technically. Like, to have a campaign actually go for two fucking years and, you know, not fuck it up or not, you know, have us quit on you or anything like that. That's just, you know, it's awesome. Like, and so congratulations on that. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, uh, and then I will I'll ask you the same two questions as I said. I'm going to ask everyone. And then I'll probably have other ones, but I'll, I guess I'll kick it off with it because they're good opener questions. So first on the mechanics, how many you know notes do you have for a general episode? And then also, what, did I, what was my other question? No, I just oh, what's what's the one thing since your campaign is coming to an end at this point? As you've said, this is the last season of Edenoi that you wish that you either would have changed at the beginning or a major plot point that you'd have changed, you know, somewhere going through the story. Okay. Um, well, hey, Bo. Um, without a question or shadow of a doubt, um, something that I would have definitely changed um, is the Sandcastle episode. Um, I did, which we actually was actually meant to be a beach episode, um, but I changed it on the fly to a tank. I thought that would be a bit more fun. Get, give a chance to get some loot at the same time, and then and then mind I was just coming for COVID as well, um, so I was I was I wasn't as creative to try and throw stuff in there. That day. I was I I was throwing in a bit. I feel as the end, so I apologize for that. But you guys literally went A to B with nothing in between. 
and it was I just wish that I could have a chance to do that one over a little bit because you fought a mu- you fought a couple of mummies and you kidnapped the GD uh, which um, you then killed three episodes later um, so that was fun uh, um, and now Tempest had their own genie which is which is fun um, so yeah I would probably have redone that one because that one um, frust- um, frustrates me the most um, there is a something actually happened right at the beginning of Edenoi which in hindsight I wish I hadn't done um but at the same time, I couldn't not let them do it because they rolled for it and they entered combat with it and they killed the Count. They weren't supposed to kill the Count. But they ended up killing him three times over in the end. In that, in, that, in season one. So, you know, it wasn't what was intended, but it did turn into something quite magical by the end of season one, I think. And it did also give, and also they do put a few things together with that for the Sisterhood of the Travelling Scarf in season two. So it, it, it worked out all right in the it worked out all right in the end. And remind me, Chad, do you have a question? The mechanical question. How many notes do you write for an episode? Ah, right. It depends entirely on the episode. Uh, when you say a page, um, Caitlin, what were you referring to in terms of um, how big the page? Uh, I have A5. A5. Right. If I were to put it into, onto an A5 sheet of paper, two lines have had been had been a couple of episodes, two lines. Start point, end point, everything else in the middle. I literally do. I literally script on the fly. For example, when Tinker... I, I've got my this point so many times, but you guys weren't meant to go to a brothel. You guys weren't meant to go to a brothel, but Chad decided that of course he was going to do this. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to see how far I can push this. And the way Caitlin played that off this thing was, was beautiful. Um, the way that Kerry um, does a really, um, I think, what's the word you, you call her? Is it like she is. Um, Technically a nun. Functionally a nun. Yeah. I love, I absolutely love that phrase. I absolutely adore that phrase. Um, the way that was played with that was brilliant. Um, it's, it can be something a lot more than that. Um, the notes I wrote for the originality of season three, uh, I wrote um, the equivalent of 10 pages of A5 for, for what I've played for season three. By the end of episode two, in terms of what we recorded, uh, the whole lot was in the bin because I completely changed my mind. But so it depends entirely to answer your question indirectly, Chad. It depends entirely, but basically, you guys me. I haven't got to do a lot of notes really. I have a start point and an end point usually, and I know and what in the middle is up to you guys really. Last point or question. Do you regret giving Corsoon all the money in the world? Every moment of every waking day. 
every it's yourself, bro. I didn't uh, even ask to do it. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I regret I regret it so much. I actually Googled several times how do you collapse an economy <laughs> to try and make it worthless. I, I generally had to put in D&D at the end each time because I had a feeling I could get a knock on the door with a black car outside. <laughs> I was worried. Okay, those are my three for now. I might okay. have another. You know, I, I pop back every once in a while. Okay, fair enough. Who's next? I popcorn to carry. Since that's Matt's gimmick anyways. He was the popcorner of okay. corn popping. When you first sat down and made Edenoi, what's... This is a question I could have asked everyone, really. How does what you originally started with compare to how it's going now? Like your very original vision for the campaign. Um, compared to where it first started, back when um, Elili and Rain were level one characters, when, that, when I first conceived at that point, um, the world in my head still looks the same. Um, it's just that stuff has got nastier in terms of like the background politics stuff, which I don't have on show as much, but it's going on behind the scenes because obviously you did the pose account, you you put some of us on the throne technically. So things have changed on that side of things, um, not as prominently as it has in, in other places. Um, but I think overall it's not too dissimilar. Uh, but that's down to the role player of you guys for me. Because you guys certainly have certainly brought life to the world that I've, that I've created. I think in general, same. Use a question at Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my head. Uh, this is going to be interesting. Apart from like obvious things like us adopting every animal in existence and turning it into our own fucking army, what was kind of a moment that we threw you less in a it being ridiculous way, but more in a oh shit kind of way? Like I didn't see that coming sort of thing. Yeah, like I didn't see that coming from like an RP perspective rather than from a you lot of fucking insane. Well, one of them hasn't been released yet, so I can't say that one. Um, um, actually, I have to say one of them actually, it comes from the season two finale, actually, a little bit. Um, and I give the perfect to plug his campaign. When Chris joined us for the season two finale, um, he uh, he brought his custom character, Callum, over into Edenoi. Um, and that was actually kind of fun because he's from the world which we actually all have enjoyed when we played in his campaign. Um, but when he was, when you guys were all down in the uh, in the underground on Eldenoi, and you weren't meant to um, well, you weren't meant to kill the drakes 
Um, I was expecting will have, um, Alex use Willis in the charmer. Um, I was, and it was supposed to be an egg of them each for all of you to have. Nope, Chris killed the lot. Chris killed the fucking lot. I did not see that coming. Destroyed the prizes that you guys are going to be getting. I did not see it coming at all. <laughs> I love him dearly, but that one I did not see coming. And it's the first time ever I've had to look for a lightning sound effect. Uh, the weird thing is, is that I... I've got to be, there, is another, there is another point that, that stands out to me on that side of things, though, Caitlin. Um, it has to be um, how far pun intended, you all lent into the prostate exam. I I didn't see that coming and sometimes you've got to run with what, give, what comes to you. I was betting you guys, you basically just like stab, 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 maybe set on fire. If I was prepared for a setting on fire thing. I knew Tinker's whole backstory. I wasn't prepared for the prostate exam with the halibut. My bad something i don't know i would prepare for the actual um and i'm prepared for alex killing a person in the crowd <laughs> that was in the days when alex was rolled for sharpshooter and you minus i believe you minus five from a roll don't you alex add 10 to damage and you yeah. rolled and, and you and you rolled a three it's, it took me a long while to realize i was meant Probably the probably the entirety of season one, maybe close to the end, like when we got to um, the village of the dwarfs, so I started to realise this. But for quite a while of the first season, I didn't realise I was actually meant to be adding like modifiers to dice rolls. So I was just rolling the dice and going with that. It, it actually worked out quite well storyline wise because eventually the guy caught up with you whose wife you killed, but he didn't last long. Did you lot so? I have one more question, if it's okay. Oof. Just gonna steal the popcorn thing back for a moment. Out. This is kind of just half observation and half something Alex casually mentioned. Okay. How do you roll so well with derailment? Because you're probably the best person here at it. It's it sort of it's sort of um, a little example there, you Alex and Kerry. To, what do you mean by direct that development? I get. Oh, anything happens, and you just kind of go with it. Is there a secret to that? Or um, I I learned this from Johnny Chiodini when they were did when I first sat down, sat down in twenty twenty in April to deal with you guys for the first time. I looked at their video we did when they were a viewer game about what you should do with D&D sort of thing, about how you shouldn't railroad people. Um, if, if something works, you absolutely roll for it. And as Chad was saying earlier on, um, we tend to not be very rule, rules lawry here. I've always got that opinion of, if you can justify it, roll for it sort of thing. And then, you know, if you get it, then great. If not, then, there will be consequences. It, 
it, it sounds very, very obvious and maybe a little bit boring of an answer, but I don't know, because I don't have a middle point, as long as you get to the end, how you get there, I don't really mind. Of course, whatever happens in the middle, I am making notes of, usually when I'm going back listening to it in the editing, because I'm in a fugue state usually when that's happening, and I'm just in the moment. So I haven't got time to be making notes apart from what I need to on that, etc. Um, yeah, being derailed by having all 25 of my arches pointed out by uh, by Tempest was that was fun. Oh, such 25 invisible arches, completely rendered visible, <laughs> completely rendered visible. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I totally see your point about that, one, one Kerry, for sure. Um, I, I guess, I guess it is because of uh, you guys give me great material, so I don't want to punish that, and I, I, I encourage it more. It probably explains why I'm such a chaotic player. I don't think a single player I, character I have in any of the campaigns is anything apart from chaotic good. Surprising now, it probably sounded a little backhanded, but it was meant to be a compliment. No, it's a compliment. Absolutely, thank you. Well, let's go back again. I will warn everyone now, so you can start thinking about it. I've decided after we go around this roundtable, everyone has to do their favorite moment so far of the year because I told you where we all were in our campaigns at the end. So you got to do it. Mm. Oh, love me, Alex. <clears throat> Well, I mean, the derailment was going to be my question, so I'm kind of... Um... I have one more question. Uh, so, harking back all the way to season one, I, I won't lie, when I first introduced, because like we tried to plan out my Corsoon's introduction, and then Carrie just sat at the fire. One of the funniest <laughs> things I think has ever like just happened in a random moment for D&D. But going back to the season one finale, how... How annoyed were you that I had a plan to figure out how to kill Rain's dad in one strike? I wasn't that annoyed, I'll be brutally honest. Because I also knew that Horsoon had that had that sort of ability. Um, and also, let's face it, Chad, nothing you do surprises me, Corsoon, because you're insane. Um, I was actually more annoyed that the four of you didn't go to the after party, which was just a party. You could have gone there, and then you wouldn't have had to face down Count Dragon at all. Um, but you, you chose to abandon the meats, the drinks, the alcohol, meet Rain's actual mother who was there. Fuck you know. parties. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. With our luck, it would have all been poisoned or something. So. Eh, it, it, I can say, I can say, hand on hand on heart, it was just a party. It was just a party. <laughs> Don't trust you. <laughs> I wouldn't either. Hey, do you have one? All right, then. I guess my question would be basically the same as the last two. What was your favourite moment as a DM throughout Illinois, and then obviously your least favourite? My favourite moments um, in D&D, in d I think, so far, was unquestionably when you guys found out what you were fighting in the first boss fight of Season 3. When you all 
and also the, the aftermath of that, where you were all saying, we're fighting a fucking Kraken. And then the aftermath where, you, where mainly Kerry, mainly, uh, not Kerry, apologize, mainly Alex lobbying, lobbying for multiple level ups for beating a Kraken, to be fair. Um, I mean, it's not unwarranted. You did face a, I'm not entirely sure what challenge rating a Kraken is. 23, I think, or 24. It's in the 20s, for sure. Mm. That's a normal Kraken, though, and you had, like, a scaled-down one. It was, it was a babby, to be fair. Because otherwise it would have, like, murdered Rain the moment it ate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, is a, which is a phrase that I still have nightmares about a little bit, actually. Imagining Rain being swallowed whole. If he, in fact, if he hadn't actually got out that turn, he would have been digested. So, I want to come back somehow. <laughs> you, you'll never kill Rain Willis. Right, Don't. spring trap. Don't tempt me. Um, my least worst moment as a DM. Um, uh, I've got to say. Sometimes I feel like I need to be a bit more creative sometimes with riddles and traps and, you know, handing out of loot. Because I haven't handed out anywhere near the amount of special tools that the rest of you have done. Um, I'm actually surprised about I haven't handed out. And I think that I should. I should have done more on that side of things. Well, don't worry, I've only given out like one item. <laughs> I mean, I gave, I mean, Alili got the Wand of Wonder, um, which I think is the only thing, I only actual magic item I've handed out to people besides magic animals. Um, All the but- animal companions. Uh, the Animal Companions, oh god. The Temptation to do a spin-off with Lanju, uh, Dean Moss and Willisfin is amazing. But I'm not entirely sure how, how long that could go for. I'm not entirely sure to our whole campaign. One shot it. Mm. Mm, I wouldn't take the animals into danger, so it'd be very short. Mm. It'd just be us having a picnic or something. <laughs> I don't know, Demos appears from the sky and sits on someone. That could work too. Right. Well, I have a question. Yes, Chicken. Did you intend for Tinker to come back for the funeral? It had crossed my mind. Um, I did decide not to because I didn't want to take him because of, as amazing as Tinker is. I didn't want Tinker to take away from the, from the building I was doing with Tempest for you. I was just curious because I remember around the time you were asking me whether I still had the level of Tinker of where he would be if he turned up. Hmm. I had I had it in mind sort of thing, yeah. I think in mind. That was also the same sort of time that you actually did the uh, Fire and Spike episode with Alili, so... So, I would have been 
I was very tempted to, and who knows, maybe Tinker could yet appear in season three. You never know. You never know. He burns everyone to the ground. It's the possible. End. It's very possible. Alili gets to live because short squad. So Kerry, who's going next, yourself or Alex? Alex. Hello, yes, I am Alex, and I obviously run the campaign that was previously titled Dungeons and Junkies Presents Alex's Campaign, now known as Tales of Autorvia, which is obviously a pirate-themed campaign where I bully a bunch of pirates, and shit has gone down recently as we do approach the finale of this campaign quite drastically quickly. And as to answer Kerry's previous question, my favourite colour is indigo. All right, I'll kick it off again with my two-question smorgasbord that might roll into something else. That's all right, Kerry. You're in charge, I know. I just jumped the gun. Sorry. Uh, So first of all, the mechanical question. How many notes per episode do you really have? And then secondly, with, as you said, us approaching, we're in the end game now, as Doctor Strange would say. What uh, is the one thing that if you could, you'd go back to the beginning and either change from you know a plot's perspective or a you know world building perspective or maybe a plot point somewhere in the campaign. All right, so there's a funny one to this, the first part of this question, because back when I originally started DMing, I would spend days writing every individual line that I wanted NPCs to say in every single point I could think of and I wanted to make sure I have everything covered but the last session we did it had two bullet points that was it everything that happened yesterday I said you start here this note is in so and so that's all I had written down for yesterday's session. Obviously, apart from the letter that was found. But that's going into spoiler territory because I don't know when this is actually dropping, so I can't quite go into that. Fair. So I found that... What I found is I would spend all this time planning everything to a level of detail that turns out it wasn't necessary as the sessions went on because we never got to some a lot of points that I made anyway. So it got to a point where I just started narrowing down the information and going with less and less to this final chapter in basically the point from where you arrived in Novarin to where I'm going two or three bullet points for a session because I found that because because as you mentioned earlier 5th edition is just so chaotic and outside of the book compared to the previous editions I would make all this detail and it, you never know if it's even going to go in that direction that you're planning for it to So I found I'm much more prepared by not really preparing anything. So that's the route I've 
gone as a DM. And I think it's worked, to be fair. Well, different strokes for different folks. Uh, and what would I change? So this is, this is there's three, there's two characters I would have kept alive and a character I would have introduced. I feel like Powder Keg and Kane got killed off too quickly. Powder Keg wouldn't have been around for much longer, but I feel like I killed off Kane way too easily. I feel like, because I sort of made a mistake between his power level to when you met him, to when you actually had the final confrontation with him. And I feel like in the original plot for chapter two, Avery was right at the end, but he was going to escape because he had dimensioned already, but I have never, as a DM, have never rolled so poorly in a fight like I did with the final fight with Avery Jr. I had just... I, I can't even make it up, the fact that I got five ones on my final attack against you, Chad, when I went for that... I got a critical hit on you, rolled me sword, I got two ones. Then I rolled, then I grabbed me other dice, rolled for um, Vampiric Touch, and I got three ones. I, my luck throughout that session was just destroyed by abysmal rolls. The dice giveth and the dice taketh away. Right above, I think. Feel your pain, buddy. And actually, I'm not going to mention that final point because it, it's not really that relevant anyway. So I think my main change would have been was what characters would have stayed alive and which ones would have died. You said you were going to introduce someone. You're not going to tell us who that is. I think I think that will stay archived with the campaign. Maybe it will come out eventually. But the main thing is certain characters would have lived, certain characters would have died. The only other thing I could have changed is I feel like I introduced the whole cult plot a little early. I feel like it could have possibly waited until the second chapter. But who knows? We're not at that point anymore, so... Not there, so it doesn't matter. Uh, if you want, for my third and final question, I will ask you your question, which is, what's your best moment and your worst moment, that, or least favorite, not worst, I guess, but that you've had for your entire campaign? Probably my fate. Oh, it's a shame, because I don't... When is this going up? Um, provisionally, um, start of July. Okay, so yeah, that session won't be out, because... Without giving spoilers, my favourite moment is definitely something Man and Picasso did in the last session, because that was just phenomenal fun. But to think about what's my favourite moment and least favourite moment. Least favourite moment 
is probably the last Avery Jr. encounter because I feel like as a DM I could have handled that better in a few different aspects like decisions Avery made and other bits of dialogue that I cho chose not to use in the end and getting my wording better I feel like that his whole encounter, his whole personality it could have been better had I done other stuff so I'm going to say that's my least favourite moment Um, my favourite is probably the final fight in chapter one, where you guys went to put a stop to Powder Keg and Kane, because there was just so much on the line in that fight, and that was the first time where fight ha fight had any emotional impact, and where not succeed where succeeding mattered so I think that's one of my favourite moments to be honest because just everything went together really well in, throughout that entire session with character development in RP in the intensity of the fight that went down at the end so I'd say that is my favourite moment from what's happened so far. I uh, popcorn to Matt. Mm. What do you think has been for you your favourite piece of roleplay in um, in Autorvia? Or what stands out? Not necessarily a favourite. What stands out to you? You've got a lot to choose from. So much has happened. Um. God, this is quite hard when you're actually on the spot answering these questions. I think two moments, if that is alright. Yeah. I think my two favourite moments for best roleplay is first one was at the end of chapter one where Eli was brought back into the picture and you guys found out they were alive and got to meet up with them again and Picasso was crying and bits like that that was just a genuinely wholesome return and in the end of chapter two with just the sheer badassery of Ran unlocking what I am going to call the true magic gnolls possess, the true power they possess in everything around the atmosphere, the air pressure and the intensity around everything, and then Ran giving Avery just that final speech I think that is probably also one of my favourite RP moments awesome sir I'm a popcorn I, I made the mistake of looking up rookie error uh, as a player in your campaign whose character keeps getting 
connected to everything and wishes they'd all fuck off. How is how have you as a DM tried managed to balance different characters' backstories in your overall story? Nice. That's an interesting one because obviously as I've mentioned before, Torvia is a Tales of All Torvia is a shorter campaign. It was originally it was only ever meant to be twelve sessions, but obviously that kind of went way out the window. I think I've always had areas where I wanted to introduce backstory plots. Obviously, the thing that I wish I said as a DM originally was while while we were going to touch on people's backstories, because of the length of the campaign, we weren't going to go super heavy into backstories. So what, what I've tried to do is I've took snippets from backstories and I place them at certain points of the campaign. So to try and manage and make sure we at least visit something from everyone's past, we will hit a point where that comes into play. So for you, I wasn't quite sure where to put it. So there's been little snippets here and there. Read because we came up with the whole Lauren thing, because Matt literally messaged me saying, I'm sure you can make that up. Like I said, I've improved. I used him in the beginning. Ran, I had the idea of using, because I feel Avery, was a character who got killed off too quickly. So I decided to give him a son and make Rand's darker part of her past come back for her to relive in chapter two. And then Picasso's we haven't quite crossed yet. So to try and balance that character backstories out in the type of campaign I'm running and I might probably do sort of the same with my next campaign is fix a slot where no matter where the story goes I intend for that bit of plot to slip in at a certain point which I hope answers the question Kez, you got anything? I'm going to ask the same question I asked Matt from your original vision of what this campaign was and how it ends, what's changed? What's the biggest change? Okay, this is a bit of an odd one because the story that I came up with wasn't the original story, hence why it was a 12th session campaign. It was going to be a much more like pirate raiding treasure finding experience. The end point was going, it, the campaign was basically going to become this big treasure hunt. And there was going to be rival crews, and the end point was fine, battling out for this 
ultimate prize, which was worth, which would have set you all off for life. That was the plot idea I had originally. So it's kind of impossible to say really, because the plot I came up with to the plot I'm now using are two completely separate plots. The, the plot that Autopia was starting with originally was just scrapped in the end. It was scrapped after like the first two sessions. That's a fair answer. That leaves just you, Carrie. Oh, would you look at that? We're all out of time. Now we're done. Oh, oh dear. Hello. Kerry, I'm the sewer gremlin that they let me in and now they can't get rid of me because of residency laws in this corner of the internet space. Get out of my sink! No. <laughs> but I run a campaign that, like Alex's, was previously called Kerry's Campaign. Except, you know, it had my name instead of Alex's. Why am I explaining this? But now it's called The Fall of Osia. I've actually also started preparing for my second campaign as well, which you don't know anything about yet. Go away. None of you know anything about this. Shh. <laughs> yeah, Matt. So what are uh, well, your eyebrows? Creep. I've kicked off the other ones, so I'll kick this one off with the first two questions that I keep asking. So first of all, number one, mechanically, how many notes do you write for your episodes? And number two, with your campaign reaching its endpoint and us, you know, prepare your you preparing for your second campaign, what's something that you would go back and either change from the very you know beginning of your campaign, or that you would change plotline wise, you know, somewhere along the line? Okay, let's start with the pages one. Um, I'm, I guess I'm one of those people who's kind of a bit obsessive when it comes to campaign notes. Partially because it helps me organise my thoughts, so if you look at my D&D notebook, it very much looks like the ramblings of a madman, full of weird doodles in the margins, and probably the sort of things that would get the internet FBI people to be like, are you okay? Like, really? On average, I have about four pages of notes, and that's often because if I've got combat, I like to draw things up. Sometimes, these days, I tend to do things on the fly, and just on the opposite end of the scale, the most notes I've ever had for a single session was 11 pages, including the maps. And that was the episode where you all got to Prince's little walled city. There was like three maps, a lovely diagram of a leg with horrific injuries, and where I colour-coded every little box, and there was a lot to get through, and somehow we got through every single thing in those 11 pages. And I think if I could change one thing from the beginning, I just think it's probably a strange way to answer the question. I think I would have been more assertive. I found, especially early on, I fell into the habit of people pleasing. Like I wanted everyone just to be happy regardless. And I feel like, it caused some problems early on in my campaign. The fact I should have been more assertive and I should have stood up for myself and said what I thought and taken the 
you know, this is my campaign, this is how things are going to be when I'm sat in the seat. And I feel like it's led to a lot of weak decisions and weak, just weak overall start to my campaign. Please don't judge the beginning of my campaign, started like episode 10 or something. I'm not missing much in the beginning. Um, I feel like, you see, it's very easy to be self-critical. It's just hard knowing when to stop. You don't have to go any farther if you don't want to. If there's any any major plot points that you uh, wish you would have introduced either earlier or later. The one I'm going to focus on now is the tsunami. That was meant to happen a lot later in the campaign, towards the end. Also, since we're all here and we're being completely candid and the moments passed, that was completely preventable. I just relied on the wrong person to give you the bit of information to stop it. But hey, that was my mistake. Oh no. Moira? It actually wasn't Moira before you go pointing fingers. When the rest of you were in the mill, laughter had the information. That was my mistake. I do regret that. Huh. Laughter had the information to stop the whole thing from happening. But hey, you live and you learn, don't you? That's and then you get loves. This ravaged, crushed world. Yeah, and then I just, I don't know, somewhere along the line I threw my remaining sanity through the wind and went, let's just go with this. Everything is terrible and it's about to get worse. <laughs> I've noticed. You're welcome. If you hit at me, I will hit at you. I will come up there. You can't get out oh. from under the sink. Uh, one more question that I have, and I might have more as well as I tend to do. But I think your campaign probably has the most, I guess, lovable is not, I guess. I guess maybe lovable is the right word, or I don't know. The I guess the NPCs that seem to have the most emotional stakes with the party in general. How do you feel that you, you know, built all these characters up? as I feel it's definitely, you know, with Kindra for Oberyn and you now the loss of Turg and all the other like side characters, the NPCs that you've created, what do you attribute that to? Uh, you know, like I said, well, I'm a very self-critical person, so I tend not to notice these things. And then someone points them out and honestly, it just kind of makes my day a bit. Turg dying because that will have happened by the time this is released, as I'm going to finish my editing. Turk dying was a gift of, as Chad puts it, the dice give. Is it the dice giver from the dice taker away? That was, um, for anyone who's actually, for some reason, listened to the episode by the time this comes out, that was not meant to happen. I did have to edit down about 20 minutes of me going, ah, oh no. Everyone quick, find out what lethal damage is. And Alex hurriedly googling things. Kindra. <clears throat> of all my of all the NPCs I've created, honestly, I think my favourite is Nathaniel. But, you know, only one person in the party really knows a lot about him. But Kindra's 
Kendra's an odd one to me. Because Kendra was never really meant to be. There was just this cat in Larton called Marmalade, who, regardless of whether or not she had an opener over him, was like, this is mine now. My cat. <laughs> My cat now. And I've probably said at some point in the episode, the whole time you were doing the whole talk of animals thing, she was just speaking back to you in common. Because early on, nobody else was ever around to hear it. Yeah, and Oprah wouldn't have tracked that because he was just so used to talking to animals at that point. So many people he talked to for a long time. The fact Kendra became such, I guess, an essential part of the party also was never something I intended on. But honestly, I'm really glad it happened. I like NPCs. I like... I just like character moments. That's the best way I can describe it. I ran a set of solos where almost everybody has like some kind of NPC character with them. And I guess I'm lucky in the sense that I've got, objectively speaking, the best of the people to work with. As in, I get to DM the best part of the group. Very lucky like that. Don't you pull that face at me. I will come out from your sink. And honestly, I've got to attribute most of, if not everything, to the party. Why is Caitlin making faces at me? What am I doing wrong? We can't we can't roleplay if we don't have someone to bounce off of. And you do a very good job with your NPCs to give us something to bounce off of. Indeed, you paint, the, you paint the picture beautifully for us to uh, to work with as well. I've always liked writing. It's something I've been doing since I was fairly small. So I just like creating characters. Rock Squad. Well, on that note, I'll be done with my questions for now. I might pop back up, but I'll popcorn it to Caitlin. considering when all the solos get released it will be my main question will be Kerry what the fuck yeah there's a a lot of that coming up there's a lot of that coming up it's in session and just occasionally messages I get going Kerry what the fuck I I mean I can't throw stones I've sent you things and you've gone Caitlin what the fuck this is why we type so well what? Obviously, you've had a big learning curve, and like we make the joke that you're my evil apprentice all the time. You've definitely gone beyond apprentice at this point. It's like Padawan, Padawan, and Jedi. But um, what's kind of something out of all the twists and turns and shook, say, that you've had? <laughs> and you've made across this. What's one decision you've made that you've presented to one of us and our reaction has made your fucking week, as it were? The biggest one I actually can't get into because that's still in spoiler territory. Things that haven't happened yet. You see, this is the trouble. It's like trying to get someone to pick between, I don't know, their favorite pets or something. Obviously, mine is Izzy because we only have one at the moment. Your favourite child. Oh, wait. 
I don't have any of those. Well, you can always break the rules and do one for each of the characters if you wanted. Sorry if I sound far away. I am. Chad is running away from us. Smell He's in something. America. It's kind of hard for him to get further away. <laughs> He's far from home. Hey. I'm just gonna hold myself out this window. My <laughs> really asked Trying to pinpoint exact moments is hard enough. I think one. This is when I was still figuring out. That, you know, you kind of have to sometimes give people information. When I basically dropped snow on Moira, like, this is your problem now. Yeah, that was, that was, that was, an, that was an interesting discussion. That was. That was a good discussion, yeah. But, uh, again, that you was... you blind someone, Moira? That was, in, that was in the days when I wasn't great. I wasn't Dave for kind of a backstory, and Kerry to her credit, was amazing in giving me a questionnaire to fill in and basically got got oil from stone. Well, we got to a point where it was easier just to send you a list of yes and no questions. Or questions that required less than five words, because I know you're very busy. I'm glad you said busy. <laughs> Not simple. And you are. I appreciate that, thank you. I mean, aside from dropping a blind witch onto one of my players, like, this is your problem. You did this. I'm telling you how, but you did it. I think some of my favourite moments has just been asking people questions off camera. And then writing the responses down in my little notebook. Or forgetting and then asking the person the same question two weeks later my memory span is a bit weak at times. I think my favourite one for Shard was being told I freaked Caitlin out just a little bit. <laughs> that takes me doing. Yeah, the first Shard solo with the arm waving back at me was like, oh, great. And it was less the like the actual puppeteering and more that my DM brain immediately went to the implications and went, oh no. <laughs> yes, we got Caitlin going, oh no, and we go, oh yes. <laughs> Shot going, huh, oh, shit. It's a bit difficult for Charlie because obviously Alex and I are in close enough range that we can talk face to face about these things. So we spend a lot of time just talking about characters. And I love everything I have about Charlie. Charlie is just, if I can display, I guess, a tiny bit of DM bias. The Charlie I got in the Charlie solo, which actually won't go by the time this airs. So, you know, keep an eye out for that. That's something you should listen to. Because I feel it puts forward a side of Charlie that not enough people get to see. And I know this isn't really answering the question properly, but it's hard to pick now. One of my favourite ones for Oberon is just walking to work one day, getting this absolute information dump. 
about him as a person and his background and why he is the way he is. That was my favourite walk to work. It was a good conversation. It must have been incredibly early for you, Chad. Uh, it's fine. Sleeps for the week. This is like at half seven in the morning British time, if that. I realise that probably didn't actually answer your question the way you wanted it answered. Hey, what for me? Matt, ask a question. Hmm. Nice eyebrows. <laughs> you got an eyebrow filter on. Yes. Yes, it's uh it's not quite in in line now, but hey, no matter what. Um you asked me about derailments um, earlier. Um, how big of a derailment was it when Moira ended up stacking it through a, a magic fence, clattering into some bins? Or was that a bigger clusterfuck than when she flattened the town by accident? Matt, I say this with all the love in my heart. Almost everything Moira does is a clusterfuck. <laughs> but, but, but would you class with derailments, or are you just used to my chaotic nature of play at this point? I will admit, when Moira tried to misty step for a magical barrier, I did have to sit there and think for a moment. Like, just trying to figure out if I can trust my ears as to what I just heard. <laughs> But, yeah, it's completely stupid. Yeah, Shard's weird googly moogly arm was just like, here, go in this way. And Moira's like, okay, dink. <laughs> Moira somehow missed the hole in the barrier. And everyone stares at Moira and wonders why witches are intelligence casters. I do love Moira. I wouldn't say it was more of a derailment, it was me just. I did have to stop and think when Moira tried to teleport to the barrier. And as soon as I heard Tidal Wave in the town of buildings that were already weakened by fire, you must have known what I was going to say next. The Queen of Science. I did forget this, of course. And then everyone just stands by as these buildings domino into each other. Whilst a tiefling who's just trying his best starts having a fit of hysterics, whilst a drow's like, yeah, we know, but she's, she's like that. <laughs> <laughs> but no one died. That you know of. Oh no! I mean, you didn't Lots exactly of people stop. probably died of exposure in the following days. Oh no. Also the fact you didn't really stop to look for any bodies. Mostly because Moira was like kicked out the town. I I can I didn't send a match on that fortunately. Everyone else could have time. Yeah, since nobody stopped to like, you know, play search and rescue. There were uh, there were bodies. Men, mm-hmm. women, oh. anyone in between, adults, children. A cat. Oh, a cat? Yeah. Mm. 
You killed Sonic's half brother or something. <laughs> what happened to Ned? Ned died. You probably figured that part out. I did actually have a small story, but you know, aside from Kindra and Turk, nobody really cared about Ned, so it never got told. But Ned is part of the reason Kindra's still alive. I made it heroic. Um, I popcorn it into Alex. On a second question, because I feel like I've asked the same one too much, but I wanted to ask the same one anyway about obviously your favourite moment as a DM and your least favourite, because I feel like it's still an interesting question because it see it gets we get to see what you personally like and dislike about it all. Okay. I'm gonna answer the second part first. I think Again, as a very, very self-critical person, it's so much easier to pick out the parts you don't like about your campaign. There's a lot of things I wish I'd done differently in that regard. I didn't... There's... Like, the fight or fight with the fanatics of the Senzan. That was a piece of piss. I didn't like that combat. I don't like how meandering my early episodes are. How wishy-washy everything is. And the fact that at some point I developed the habit of laughing nervously every time I talked. That's something I'm trying to get out of. But I'd like to think I've improved on it now. But I think my least favourite part of doing The Fall of Osha is I feel like, especially early game, I wasn't able to do your characters any justice because I was given, like, four amazing characters, to be fair. Couldn't have asked for more, except when I had to chase Matt down for backstory with a stick, but, you know, that's a story for another day. I feel like my early episodes were very void of any real content. It's like, I can slightly defend that by saying, you know, it's the first time I've ever actually run a D&D campaign outside of writing a D&D campaign within a story. sometimes. I feel like a lot of that was me second-guessing everything I did and it just kind of slowed everything down and made it worse in the process. And now my favourite part. I think I'm going to pick two for this one because it's kind of split at the top for me. The first part is an episode that's not actually out yet. It's um over in solo session because it's just Parts of it are just such a 180 to everything else that's going on. The ending is my favourite part. Not because it's over, but just because I really like how it ended. And... Actually, fuck it, I do what I like. On the same vein, the Charlie and Moira do. Towards the end. Just like that little moment, the two of them shared whilst they're staring at something really quite horrifying if you sit there and try to rationalise or they try to rationalise what it actually is and this is going to be cruel <laughs> but shard learning what happens before the drought 
sure Caitlin will ever forgive me for this. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love it dearly as a storyline. But like, oh my god, Kerry, this is like the level of this is. I describe it as into like the waste level of sheer holy shit. I can't believe you've done this. I think it was more just like you could hear almost the internet dial-up noises as Shard processed what the fuck they were just told. Hey Shard, how are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me just process an atrocity. Bye. I'd say. Like I said earlier, I think character moments are just my favourite thing. Just the small little moments, little conversations. Yes, Caitlin does have a moustache, I didn't want to point it out in case it was bad lighting and they didn't have a moustache for the oh, time. No, it's been the, I've been slowly increasing the like the colour of it as this has gone on. Yeah, well I didn't want to say, I like your moustache, Caitlin, and you're going, I'm not wearing a moustache. That would be embarrassing. chocolate milk. It's like, that's lighting, thanks. Yeah, if, again, it feels like I'm skimping on an answer, but honestly, small character moments are just my favourite thing in the world. In any campaign, I just like character moments. Because <laughs> I think that's kind of what adds flavour to the world and the party. A little bit about how everybody's minds work. Especially when faced with atrocities. <laughs> I already told you, you're not you're not done, because now I want to know everyone, since we basically talked about us as DMs, I want to know everyone's favorite character moment of themselves from the year. You can do it by campaign, by campaign if you want, um, or however you want to do it. I can go first if everyone wants a moment to think about it, even though I did warn you much earlier in the episode I was going to do this. You did warn us, you did I... warn us. It's okay if not. I did have one last question for Kerry. Oh, for right. sure. If not, we can skip it. No, for sure, no. Okay, so obviously you're the only DM in this group that has really gone on the survival aspect of D&D with exhaustion in, needing food in, shelter in the environment. So what kind of inspired you to go down the route of the survival mechanic being such a prominent point? Um, short answer, I really fucking love environmental science, it's my jam. Slightly more detailed answer. I feel like it's something that hasn't really been brought up much in the other campaigns, like obviously we've all needed to rest, but I feel like up to a point nobody ever really mentioned food, water, the environment anything like that and I also feel like it fits into my plans I feel like I feel like it adds an extra stake because you're on this quest it's a ridiculous quest really but then it's a bit of a letdown if like I don't know the hero dies of dehydration but you know it's a possibility If you're on this quest to bring down a corrupt government, would you let, I don't know, exposure stop you? I just feel like it's something that's not acknowledged. I get the feeling that 
I'm scanning Reddit for a bit of help, but not many people like bringing it in. But then again, Reddit is also very no fun allowed. Don't come for me, you know it's true. And the DMs are very boring, as we've looked. And we've discussed many a time. I guess it's just me trying to add like a little flair or something that DJ hasn't really present represented much into my campaign. That and I really That's fair. More environmental science. And it shows. That was a compliment, by the way. That wasn't. She knows where you live. No shit, she knows where I live. Yeah. <laughs> I could be there in fucking three know where you seconds. Live. I'm doing that. That was meant to come up way less frightening than it is. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, since you brought up this fantastic idea, Chad, why don't you go first? Lead by example. Right. So, uh, so I'm gonna start, I guess, with my campaign. My favorite RP moment of the entire year going forward since uh, we had this last thing for was definitely the just. Everything with Damien from interactions with both Grozny and interactions with coming up soon Bart and lots of other things like that. There's many interactions that have come this year with Damien that's actually fleshed him out from just being an angry jackass to an actual like, you know, fist of rage, but has a reason behind the rage that is there. So just as a whole. I think probably Grozny uh, and Damien chilling in the car is one of my favorite things that I've did all year. Plus, Grozny's voice is just fun to do. For other campaigns, I'll just go around in order, I guess. So uh, I'll start with Carrie on this side. And my favorite thing the entire time was actually RPing the bursting out of Oberyn's tentacles and watching all the other three of you go basically what the fuck's wrong with you chad like in your eyes as i'm describing these tentacles bursting from Oberyn's back all of your faces were very much different degrees of horror worry and also just amazement and it was quite wonderful to see so that's that one for there uh for edenoi it's i and it's obviously been out now at this point but the whole season of trying to figure out what the Cats musical is going to be and also just Oberyn being now a theater manager in general has been some of the most fun stuff. Just with the letter writing to Rose and back and forth, some of them being absolute, you know, epic novels while others are five words of get the fuck out right now. Just has been a lot of fun for Corsoon. For Alex's campaign, Tales of Ortorbia, I mean, honestly, Picasso as a whole is just one of the most fun characters to play. Just every single time there's something new and just every interaction with Furry Bro. But I think the second uh, solo adventure with Furry Bro and Picasso, which is out, yeah, that that's definitely out, yeah. Uh, so with that one, when Furry bros just trying to, you know, get really down on themselves. Picasso trying to bring them back up just always makes me smile. And then finally, my absolute favorite moment of the year and why I wanted to answer this question that I thought of myself anyways, is from Into the Waste. And it is the screaming at, Char or at Shambles when Shambles 
was pressing Charlemagne for information at a time when it wasn't necessary and going on the tirade that you are children and you know nothing and to get your fucking head out of the clouds because we're in a war right now and I don't care if you prey upon the twin-tailed fox you can get the fuck out of here is probably one of my proudest just on the spot improv and RP moments of all time because I was about to say uh, I don't care what god you pray to but then my brain immediately was like well it's a twin-tailed fox I know what god he prays to I can actually lead off from that, actually, because that is my favorite moment from Into the Waste, for sure. Shambles developing a backbone, for sure. Um, and Shambles, the shouting match, and she going, literally following um, Shaman down the road. And another thing, and literally all the way to the barracks, pretty much just having a screaming match. It was it was so much fun, but it's also at the same time, it was a, it was also a nice way to start because when i first wrote shambles he was a complete he still is a complete idiot but i, I wrote him i wrote him originally as a uh, as i do with all my characters as a as a joke character i like be i like being the uh the comic relief uh let's face it but as it's been exampled with mainly thanks to the amazing dms i'm under um reed is no longer quite the comedic character he once was as i'll get to in a moment um shambles is a broken husker man um, um professor blake in blaze is fully my most serious character i have currently uh wyatt um over in um uh all farm um but we haven't done a great deal with backstory just yet, because maybe we haven't had a chance to yet. Um, but we, we, it's coming for sure. Um, there's some stuff coming up, which I don't think is out yet, which has been, uh, I finally enjoyed. Uh, to be fair, I always like um, the role play moments I get to do with Kerry um, in any campaign, because, um, uh, from where she started to where she is now, she has she is amazing role player, and you can hide all you want, you know it's true. Um, and let's face it, um, Virion, be it Nunvark when he started or Virion right now, uh, I think everyone that everyone that's concerned, he is their favorite always. Um, why it's best moment though in all farm it has to be being able to pass a uh, a check in a, in a corridor by pushing yourself again in bright red i like to point out against a white wall and not be spotted it still has to be for me chad uh, i know it's a bit before um the point in question but it still is for me um, but I do think that my favorite roleplay moment in All Farm was um, with uh, with the Lich, um, which she has stood up, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, that's gonna be interesting. He's still waiting for that brunch. He'll still be there. Sad face. 
read without a quid or doubt it's uh, the, the the amazing roleplay that I've been able to do with Eli um, mainly when Eli took the finger um, which um, I didn't see coming uh, don't, question for Caitlin did you know it was coming uh, no I literally in the moment I messaged Alex in the session being like can I take a finger <laughs> And Alex was like, I don't, do what you want. <laughs> Alex, all right. I uh, made a split second decision, kind of role played a little bit just to check Alex wasn't going to like ban me from doing it because plot stuff or whatever. Mm. And then I took your fucking finger. <laughs> my ring finger, no less. My ring finger, damn it. Symbolism, as baby. I, as I said, I'm just the DM. What you guys do is down to you. As proven with what happened in because of the poisons we all drank apart from my life. But no, the role play of reason. The but the but no, the role play with a lie um has been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um It's been fun playing Moira, for sure. It's always nice uh, even even though some of the best stuff about Moira in the six month period was actually everyone sassing on Moira for not being there uh, when I was away in Disney World for, for two sessions. Uh, so credit to you guys for sassing me the whole time. And by, by all of you, I mean Caitlin. I think that's all of the campaigns accounted for. Um, yeah, so uh, Alex. Ed. Any Edenoi? Oh, Edenoi. I, I suppose. Oh, because I'm. Um, stand up moments in Edenoi. Um, I'm going to say actually some of the. Uh, uh, and you're going to hate me again for this, Carrie. I'm sorry. Um, the, the end of Fire and Spike, the Ally, the Alili and uh, Tinker um, special episode where. Kerry does some uh, amazing roleplay work um, when um, Alili sees Iron um, in spirit form, and uh, that was a that was a real that was a really really good moment, and I loved it. Kerry, you were amazing. <laughs> Kerry's pretending she doesn't exist. I'll give Kira a chance to compose herself. Alex, you're up. Okay, so I'll do this in campaign order, I think. Uh, for Rain, roleplay wise, I know he's such a stoic character. Um, so much has happened in Edenoi as well, that's the thing. Like that there's just been such a variety of things that we've done. I enjoyed the role play from the body swap. I think that is the role play I've enjoyed the most as Rain. Um for Chad's campaign, which is next. I'm going to count this anyway. It's um, Cal and Vir- as a like a bonus, Cal and Varian's um, 
one shot, which we totally recorded in one sitting. Just ignore the difference in audio quality that suddenly happens at about the four hour mark. The, the back and forth between those two and the adventure that they had just will always forever be in my heart. After I got to say to Carrie as cow, I'm not going anywhere. It would take an explosion to take me out. <laughs> a week later, dies in an explosion. Um, for, for Avery, obviously, as that said with Wyatt, as Matt said with Wyatt. Avery is still very new, and not only is he a new character, he is very new to Ulfam in his perspective, so that makes it a bit more awkward, but probably with Avery, it was... Ah, oh, shit, that's not out yet, is it? Anyway, it's, a in it's an interaction that's upcoming where he gets into a bit of an argument... So that is probably my favourite with him. Next, I'll do my campaign last, so it'll be Into the Waste next. Into the Waste, it would be all the, just, the mini conversations between Dakota and Charlemagne. They're, I feel like they did some, even though they were a bit broken by the end, they did have Probably some of my favourite bonding moments in Into the Waste. Especially when I decided to abandon the rest and follow Charlemagne to see where he was going and found out interesting information on him. Carrie's campaign is an episode that isn't out yet. It's the Charlie Solo. That is the most fun I've ever had role-playing Charlie. Because as Kerry said, I I went into a whole different because obviously when you're doing a solo, you need to keep everything going. So I found a whole different RP personality with Charlie that I didn't realise was there. And as for Ran and Picasso, no, okay, I just thought at the moment. For my campaign, it is definitely the second solo episode with Ran Picasso. Just get, all they really did was go out drinking and have some lunch, and they spent basically the majority of the session eating and drinking. But it was just the way they interact with each other. They they are my favourite duo in all of Dungeons and Junkies. If I could have only, if I had to pick two characters, I know it, it sounds a little DM biased, but if I could only pick two characters to keep out of every character in D&J, it would be Ran and Picasso, just because I love their personalities and their back and forth with each other. But yeah, that's it for me. Oh wait, I guess it's me now, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Well, Mishka had basically no real interaction with anyone in the party, so I can't really pick anything for her. So, let's see. 
the sun I'm gonna say it was That's not my answer. I think it's the time I tried to glue Shambles' face back together. <laughs> Trying to glue some of his scales back up to heal him a bit. Magic prick stick. I loved Sam, but I feel like for a lot of it he was kind of self-contained. I feel like that's kind of a recurring problem with a lot of my characters. I don't know, Sam's roleplay in that final confrontation was fucking astounding. Yes. We will fight about this later. No, it's not the time. <laughs> fucking watch me. Um. You go free for free. The second um, round in the cast. <laughs> because, you know. It's Ryan and Picasso, what's not to love? I do genuinely think Ryan and Picasso have the most some friendship. And I say this with all the love I have for the Warlock Squad. Ryan and Picasso do have like the most wholesome dynamic in It's the, the word wholesome show. that's the problem with the Warlock Squad. Darian is a wholesome being, I will fight you. Damien is not. This is tr this is a point. But they're not in this, so just Ran's on a bit of a downer at the moment, and honestly I think her reasons are perfectly valid. But it is just the way Picasso was trying to pick her up. It's very wholesome. And I love it. Um... Is it cheating if I pick the long-standing friendship between Rain and Lily? Is that a cheat answer? <laughs> Because, I mean, they were kind of officially the first Dungeons & Junkies characters. They've been around for a long, old while. They've done some stupid shit together. Including dancing around a kobold and trying, instead of trying to kill him. Because Alex and I didn't understand what modifiers were to rolls. And our dice liked numbers below 8 at the time. Or some such. Do you remember that, Alex? We're meant to be killing this guy and we just danced around him instead. You're muted, but okay. Every six months I have a recurring nightmare of that moment. <laughs> does the flute music get a bit louder and a bit jankier in every type, different one, just like it does in mine? Um, for Virion, let's see. Honestly, it's not out yet. Like, my actual favourite moment with Virion isn't right. Um, so if I had to pick one that actually was right, it's kind of a choice between dealing with drunk Wyatt, <laughs> that was an adventure and a half. The adventure with Cal, that was like three and a half adventures. But you know what? I'm just... I'm going to slightly cheat this answer again. Any interaction that Virion has with Taran, I absolutely love every single one of them. Even though they're torturous to my favourite character. This is, I... It's 
a lot because I absolutely love what Chad's done with Taron. And honestly, <laughs> the amount I've written on Taron, like for myself, and luckily haven't sent because, you know, there's kind of a lot of it. <laughs> it's. It's up there, you know? <laughs> That's my own campaign. Hmm. Why am I only allowed to pick one? Because it'll actually be out by then is the ending of the arena fight. When Oberyn was down, Charlie was down, Shard was down, and Moira was the last one standing. I gave Matt a devil's bargain. And you know, it worked out in their favour. Well, maybe. I'm sure it won't come back to bite them in the ass at any point. Because, you know, that's the fun part of DMing. You can just do all this shit and then go, but will it come back to bite you? Bad <laughs> math <laughs> <I'm> optional. <laughs> I'm done bending everyone's ears now. And we have had to thank everybody for uh, listening to this um, extended look. Taylor hasn't gone yet, Matt. I have. So, I know I'm so not unofficial, but like, come on. I am so sorry, Matt. Future Matt, cut this part out, Caitlin. Future Matt, tell yourself off, you dick. Future Matt, punch yourself in the face. You deserve it. Gently. Gently. Not. I don't want you to hurt yourself, but just make you make it known you fucked up. Caitlin, <clears throat> would you like to finish things off for us? <laughs> no, hangs up. Yes, sure. Uh, I mean, Wolf Farm, that one's easy. It's not out yet, but all the stuff with Damien since he's been, since the party split, really, has been essentially a buildup of an actual personality beyond anger. That he's always had. It's just, it's never, the situation has never been right for any of it to come out. There's never been peace, or there's never been the right trigger for it, apart from, you know, crushing rage. Especially the last one with, last back and forth between Damien and Alistair, the NPC Alistair, which you'll, who you'll meet in future. Oh my god, I upset myself during it. But considering I've done so much writing of my best boy and I haven't been able to show any of it, it's been a long time coming. Uh, what will be a... I think it has to go to the Read and Lie duo episode when they went to save Lauren. The sequence when they were sat in the jail cell waiting for it to start and the back and forth of just talking and trying to explain to Reed that Eli isn't a good person and she's comfortable with that and Reed kind of being like I will help you I'll be there oh woo I'm I you my friend oh woo woo even though I just lost my fucking finger to you I don't know, that back and forth was a nice difference between the usual kind of... I mean, it's not really like 
just general rage with a lie. It's just kind of bitter disappointment in the ineptitude of humanity and other races. Uh, shard. Shard. It's a tie between... Both of them come from within the Trials episodes. Shard's speech at the end of the fight. That's a big thing. Like, that I was fucking proud of. And... A weird combo of all the moments during the trials where Shard either went off on Oberyn for essentially saying we were siding with the fucking military. Which, you know... Yeah, you cheered as a child died. Caitlin, 2022. <laughs> and breaking down when um, Moira handed the box over about the project and with the dog tags in it. I love that. Even though it's a bit more complicated, because I haven't... I mean, Tempest is... Because I chose to retire Tinker, because he was kind of going in a path that didn't suit the world, Tempest I've very much been trying to play as kind of a support for everyone to get to the end of this tale that's being told. I do enjoy her, and she is, I don't know, a one decent blip of a person compared to the clusterfuck that is my others. I think the ex the drunk, the, like the drinking conversations that Tempest has had with Rain about like belonging and family and things, that, I've enjoyed that. And then all of mine. Uh, I mean, a few of my favorite ones of Into the Waste and that. The solo stuff with both Kerry and Chad. There's some really good fucking moments in there that I want to put on my fridge. And just, you know, keep. And no, I'm not talking about you going, I am Calreo, praise be me, Calreo. Calreo did this. We're getting out a t-shirt for you, Chad. <laughs> Greatest RP moments of all time. It, wasn't I, I, me. it was Calreo. Me, Calreo. Pay attention, for I am Calreo. But I think, yeah, my favorite bit from the year, apart those six months, has to be has to be that final after Sand died that final back and forth and that final because I actually kind of went for it in terms of this is a grieving father and you all having to leave which you know worked in my favor and blades I mean I just have I just had so much I had a lot of fun with I mean I have a lot of fun with the demon anyway just because it's a cool voice to do but I guess that's not really an RP thing with Blades. I just enjoy ticking off bits of clocks and watching you all sweat. But that's because I'm, I'm going to say this, so. Watching End you, tape. Watching you roll dice and then watching, you can just see a pen a pen moving in your hand. I'm like, what the hell? What the hell? Alex, quickly, quickly. Cause it's usually when I'm with Alex, let's face it, in, in Blades when these things happen, I'd be panicking. Um, 
it, 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 it's madness and yeah. my most recent like the end of arc one that ended there's a bit where I'm like it's like well we've searched the first four carriages why wouldn't we search this fifth one and I'm like maybe because there's a clock going up slowly <laughs> and, and I just there's just a pause and then Matt and then Chad's like motherfucker <laughs> and I'm like yes this is what I'm here for there was a moment as well um, just to address it um, in uh, the, the final part of Act 1 the, the heist finale as it were where we get all of his well by our point I think by my standards anyway of decent planning for this I was going to talk to a ghost and all that stuff and no one has actually written down the, the name, name of the fucking, the fucking train, train. <laughs> that you had to get on none of us had written it down i mean me i i mean me i expect to forget that sort of stuff but chad and alex make notes like crazy in blaze in the dark i do not make notes in blaze in the dark probably hasn't had time for that kind of stuff probably he's not a note taker my note pattern depends on what character I am. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, in D&D, I rarely take notes. In Blades, I have fucking pages. It just, it feels like that campaign or that game where notes are really important. They save your life, literally. Notes are the difference between level two and level one harm, really. And in D&D, it's just whatever the fuck I feel like. I mean, like, in one of Kaylin's sessions, I have I have the Get Well Juice written in all caps. Yes. Heart of the die. Heart of the die. That's my blade strategy. Heart of the die. How'd that go for you, clappy bomb boy? Does anyone have any more questions? For anyone in particular? For the whole group? think at this moment without revealing any more any big spoilers that haven't think that haven't come out yet we can really I've got questions I want to ask gang but I can't ask them on on podcast it's not going to be out yet is it related to yesterday's session maybe 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 but that's not going to be out it's Why also in character I need to ask these questions. I don't I wanna do it in the moment. So I'd have to wait until the next time we play. Okay. Uh, Chad, Caitlin, yeah, I'll go one more. Just because it was what I was gonna ask earlier and then I kept copying out because I'm um, bye bye. Now we've kind of all gone over our all, our own campaigns and kind of we have picked out some bits we weren't happy with and some bits we wanted to change and things. What do people feel is their biggest weakness as a DM? Now that we're we're all like twenty bloody hours into campaigns. I actually asked everyone this at one point. <laughs> Went round the table and asked everyone. Mm. But you know, who wants to go first? I'm happy go. I'm I asked, so. Fair, I we go in campaign release order. Oh, Caitlin, do you want to go first or do you volunteered, want to go first? but <laughs> I've been denied apparently. 
after you can't lie, it's it's all good. No joy. Uh I think mine is mine is I get in part of this is just to do with my own mental health stuff, so it's dealing with myself, but it's when something doesn't go right, I'm too self-critical and I'm I I struggle to communicate a lot of these overarching plot things that I have. Like I have these dramatic details and twists and things that you guys have enjoyed. But it's translating that from my insane squirrel brain into a playable format, which is where I struggle, which you know, it's partly just how how do how how do neuro how do I make it so neurotypicals can understand my brain? Because <laughs> I don't. Okay, um, for me, it's quite a. It's I don't, I don't hate it myself so much, but I do disappoint myself sometimes because sometimes some episodes are all about the group, obviously, and sometimes they are more more solo, more primarily one character for that one episode. Sometimes and the other characters will take a sort of a support role to that main character. I feel that sometimes I don't do enough to keep every, all the characters busy sometimes. And I need to work on that more. I'm better than I used to be in the previous seasons, but I'm still not quite there. Um, but I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it. I just need to keep going there. And thankfully, I have you wonderful people to... Uh, to uh, give you feedback on a regular basis about how that's the thing we do actually give each other feedback on a regular basis as well, uh, not just every six months. So, so it's uh, it is quite it is very it's a learning experience every day school day. So you know, uh, you know, sometimes I'm pretty sure I've annoyed at least one person at the table because I hadn't had much what to do as some people, um, and sometimes. Some people think like I was talking for a long time there. Was that felt like everybody else? I thought that many times when I've been playing as one of my characters. I'm keep, I'm just doing a lot of talking today. Maybe I should shut up for a minute. I'm gonna shut up now. Chad, you go. Uh, I guess probably my biggest weakness is probably kind of along the same lines that, especially as a DM, I sometimes feel that I. I overtake the player themselves. Like I, I, I push too much onto players as a whole. And also, I would also say sometimes my reliance to uh, sway into wackiness just to just have a little fun. Sometimes I, I betray my own dramatic, you know, tension and things like that by giving that out. But yeah, I would say my definitely my major flaw is uh, talking over my players themselves. And you know, trying to, I guess, just push my own agenda at times. I guess, well, Alex, sort of kind of zigzagging along the call for me. Probably gonna get a bit personal here. Um, I think, as a DM, the one drawback that I always think of for myself is I find the 
learning difficulties I have in struggling to make sentences sometimes, I find that really does hold me back on what I can do as a like a DM in how far I can go with role playing the characters I set out for everyone. And there has been times where I've wanted to go deeper into stuff and try and be better with the role play, but I find my own ability, my own drawbacks hinders my ability and makes me chicken out of where I really want to go with some things I've done. But that is something I'm working on. And in time, hopefully, it will get better. Uh, who's Carrie's the only one who has a gun, so Carrie, zigzag into you. <laughs> um, after EGX last year and the British lot of our group, as it were, were all sat in the press room actually discussing this topic. So I went round and asked everyone via DM what they thought my weakness was, and I literally got the same answer from everybody. <laughs> well, I got one variation, but I've been told it's my confidence. I'm, I'm a person with incredibly low self-esteem, and I do have a habit of just letting my mental health take everything away from me, because you fall you fall into holes and it's kind of hard to get out i think i mean honestly i think that ads had probably hit the nail on the head not just for my dming but for my character moments as well i tend to hyper focus on the small things like i am not good at voices like to me all my npcs sound the same and in my head is it kind of spirals into i'm bad at voices therefore i'm bad at roleplay even though I've been told roleplay is actually a, not roleplay. Voices are a very, very, very small part of roleplay. <laughs> so I'm not a confident person. And it kind of, I'd like to think I have moments where it's getting better, but I feel like that kind of leaks into everything I do. It's like if I say something and there's a silence lasting for more than two or three seconds, that's when my brain kind of goes, ah, shit, you've done fucked up. <laughs> Everyone hates you now. Dad. I don't know how to finish this off. <laughs> I think um, that's a reasonably good note to end things on. I think it, it's as we as we are getting the paladin symbol across every single screen and chanting a, a mini version. Um, um, we sh we at Game Junkies have to again thank Caitlin and Chad for joining us for this extended length episode. Um because we when we get chat we just chat and chat and chat which is always a good thing. Um so um Caitlin and Chad, would you like to, in that order, please, um, give your contact details so people can follow you and and harass you, you know? Oh yes, here's my here's my exact address. No. Ah uh, yes, I'm Caitlin. If you want to listen to any of the Blade stuff or the Into the Waste stuff that I've talked about, or read any articles I've written about gaming and mental health, 
I have a site called mindgame.org where all Dyson Suffering stuff is contained. And if you search Dyson Suffering on any podcasting platform, you'll find it with cool art and totally... I'm great at drawing, shut up. And at our mind games on Twitter, at KateMarcy, if you just want to look at my cats or look at the descending anarchy that is my mental health. LOL! Hi, I was Chad. I still run Escape from Wolf Farm. I also help run Visionaries Global Media, which is where you hear Dungeons and Junkies every Tuesday and every Friday, as long as they go out on the right time. Sometimes it's not the right days, but they always go out eventually. If you want to follow me on the Twitter machine, I'm at Chad's underscore mine, or you can follow my podcast, which is at BFTR2PO. And you can also clearly listen to myself on Dungeons and Junkies or uh, VFTR 2.0. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome, both of you, of course. Um, Kerry? Hello, I'm Kerry. My social is Shira Beans. I live under Caitlin's sink. I lark and don't post anything. Doesn't pay rent. I sort out your dishwashing stuff. I don't have a dishwasher. I know, that's because I ate it. But anyway. No, for real. I am Shira Beans on Twitter where I lurk and don't really post a lot because, you know, I don't really have that much to say. That's a lie. I DM people. I want to DM people a lot, but I'm making a mess of this. I also get to supervise the Dungeons and Junkies art Instagram, which is Dungeon Junkies on Instagram. You know, it's kind of self-explanatory. Why am I explaining this? End transmission. End transmission. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, and in today's session, I played Alex. You can obviously find me at Spiderbread UK. You can find our main our main content on Game Junkies Pod, and you can find this ever-growing collection of Dungeons and Dragons madness at Dungeons and Junkies. Over to you. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you again to our affiliate GameAware. Uh, use our code. Game Junkies 10 at the checkout to get 10% off your, your game aware. Find me at Madhack UK. And uh, on behalf of everybody here at Dungeons and Junkies, even the Game Junkies, and myself, Alex, and Kerry will be back in, well, probably about two weeks or so. Shall we go, guys? Bye. So bad. Bye. <laughs> We're out of here. This podcast is a Mass Attack production for Visionaries Global Media. And myself.